All right, well, we are in week two of lenses because as we said last week, the lens that you look through shapes how and what you see. That every single one of us across the course of life, we all have lenses that we look through the world, that we look through different relationships, and we see and we perceive and we understand the world around us through the lenses that we're looking through. And that determines how we see the world, and it sometimes will even determine what we see in the world around us. And specifically for these two weeks, we're talking about the way that God sees us and the way that we see God. And we said something that was incredibly powerful last week, that on our own, we have this way that we think God sees us, and on our own, it actually is the way that God sees us. But we said that the way that God sees us when we are in Christ, when we've put our trust in Jesus, is something entirely different. That in Christ, God sees us through the lens of Jesus. That when God looks at you and when God looks at me, he does not see our sin. He sees our sins forgiven by Jesus. He doesn't see our shame or our guilt. He sees us covered by the perfection of Jesus. He sees our brokenness healed by Jesus. And he sees us carrying the victory that Jesus won at the cross. He does not see us as defeated. That God sees us through the lens of Jesus. That when God looks at you, he looks at you through the lens of Jesus. When he looks at me, he looks at me through the lens of Jesus. Now, moving into our second week and our, and our, our the, the new content for today, I want to talk about a little journey that I've been on for the last year um, in, in leading our church and lead, in discovering videography and, and how to do church online well. Um, it started last February when we, when we went up to Taos to film our Easter, our Easter sermon uh, at, the, at the Rio Grande Gorge up in Taos. And when we started the process, the first thing that I did was to contact my buddy Mike, who was our, our special guest uh, worship leader for our Christmas Eve services. Um, and I, I contacted him to see if he would be interested in helping us film. And I said to him very clearly early on, I said, Mike, look, I want you to come, but I really want you to come because I want your camera to come. Um, and, and the reason I, I said that was because Mike had access to a camera that I'd heard good things about and I'd seen some, some, some stuff filmed on that I thought, wow, that's really good. And I wanted to get a little experience working with that type of camera because I thought it might just be a, a, a valuable or a worthwhile upgrade for our church. And so I wanted to kind of use the camera, be around the camera, see how it worked, see if it was something that we could actually use and would actually be a really good upgrade for our church. And so he said, yes, we went up to Taos. Um, we filmed on two of the coldest days of the year um, up on the windiest pass in, in, the, in the state of New Mexico. It was great. It was wonderful. It was terrible. Uh, it, was, it, was, it was amazing. But at, at the end of the day, the two days filming, we got back to um, our computers and we started to put some of the, the um, the footage into the into our into the computers and get it off of the drives and look at it and I and I remember saying to Mike I said wow that looks good but it doesn't look quite as good as I expected it to look based on some of the stuff that I had seen and some of the videos that I had watched filmed filmed with this these types of cameras it doesn't look quite as good as I expected he said well he said he said this this phrase that has actually kind of been haunting me and uh, that I've been wor working through and, and and learning through for the last year he said this well the camera is great, but this is just a cheap lens. If you want to get the best footage, you have to get a much better lens. Fast forward four weeks from that filming session, and, and, and the entire world changed. Everything with, with the pandemic hit, and church went to completely online, which if you didn't know, I hate to burst your bubble, meant that we pre-record our service, pre-record our sermons, pre-record the worship, pre-record all of that, and then we premiere it. Church is not live online. Sorry to burst your bubble about that. But we record with cameras, and we record with SD cards, and we record with hard drives, and we record with all of that. And, and when we first 
first, when that first started, we didn't know exactly how long it was all going to last and how long it was going to all go. We just kind of figured, okay, let's use what we've got. Let's use the cameras that, we've, that we have. Let's use the, the, the stuff that we have, and we'll see how this all you know, plays out as we go. And so at the beginning, we were using this camera that when we bought it five years ago, it was the top of the line. It was a wonderful camera. But after five years, it started to become a little bit dated in its capabilities and some of the, uh, some of the things that we wanted to be able to do. And so after we realized that church online was going to be the way we would function for, a, for a, an extended period of time, we kind of thought, okay, the cost of that camera is about the normal cost of our monthly rent at, at, at previ previously. So what if we just took the leap and let's upgrade our cameras? So over the course of the next couple months, we started to upgrade our cameras. And so I called my buddy Mike again. I said, hey, I got some questions about equipment, got some questions about lenses, got some questions about everything that we're going to need for to, to make this work properly. Can you help me out? And so he told me about equipment. He told me about the lenses that he had. And so at the very beginning, we started with just that same lens that he had that he had said, like, hey, you know, if you wanted something cheap, here's the best way to go. But this won't get you everything that you want to get. And we put it on the camera, and we started filming with it. And we were like, yep, this is, this is kind of a cheap lens. It's not quite as clear as we want it to be. It's not quite as sharp as we want it to be. So we sent that back, and we had found another lens that was about $50 more, and it promised exceedingly better quality of picture. We, it, just, you know, uh, it promised to be a, a massive jump in the quality of the picture. And so we got it, and we put it on. We filmed with that for about two or three weeks, and we noticed that like, it was a good lens. It was a little bit sharper, but not a lot sharper. And, 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 and it didn't really give us a whole lot of flexibility as far as where we were shooting and ability to zoom and autofocus and things like that. And so, and so we, we kind of started to get on, I started to get on YouTube and I started to really research lenses and find out what were some of the recommendations of lenses by different people that were doing you know, video work across churches and across the world. And so I kept you know, looking and looking and looking and looking. And what I kept coming back to is people talking about the value of good glass or quality lenses. When people would say good glass, what they meant was quality lenses. And they said this phrase over and over again. And this is another thing that I was like, holy cow, this makes a lot of sense. They kept saying, look, if you buy these, this, these great cameras, but you put a bad lens on it, you might as well not even buy the good camera because putting a bad lens on a good camera will ruin the quality of your picture and will make it seem like you have a bad camera. And so, 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 we, were, so we were looking for all of this kind of stuff, and, and, and finally we ended up finding a, a lens that was not, not crazy expensive but provided incredibly better picture quality, gave us a lot of versatility, gave us autofocus, gave us the ability to have, you know, to be close up or far away to zoom in, had a lot of, a lot of zoom capabilities. And so we found this, cam this, this lens that we love and that it's on both of our cameras right now. And we were really, really happy with it. But here's the thing that I, the, the reason I tell you all of that and the reason I bring all of that up and the reason I think this is so important for us to understand is we talk about lenses is simply this, that your picture will only be as clear as the quality of your lens. This, this is what I've learned over the last year studying videography, studying, studying how to do church online, studying how to make these cameras that we got turn into something that actually has the capabilities to produce really good quality stuff that your picture will only be as clear as the quality of your lens. Now, that's a really important thought to remember as we talk today about our second lens, which is the way that we see God. Last week, we talked about the way that God sees us. Today, I want to talk about the way that we see God, the way that we perceive God, the way that we understand God. And so let's ask the question like we asked last week, how do you see God? 
in what ways do you see and perceive God? And, and I think for a lot of us, there's some really easy Christi- Christian answers. But as I ask the question today, what I'm really asking is this. What lens do you look through when you attempt to understand God? What lens do you look through? What lens do I look through when, when I'm trying to understand and perceive and know God? See, we have some pretty easy and obvious answers here as well and some pretty natural ways that we try to understand and see God. Here's the first one. You have a friends and family lens. And, and, and your, your friends and your family, the most important voices, the most influential often voices in your life, what do they say about God? What do they think God is like? See, both of these voices matter. What your friends say and what they think about God, if you ever talk about God, it forms a running dialogue in your head about how you perceive what God might be doing right now. It kind of provides that soundtrack or that running dialogue through which things get filtered and you understand and, and see and know God through that filter of, of how your friends think about God or your family. The voices of your family, they become those voices that you hear and you don't exactly always know where they come from, but sometimes you have those phrases that stuck out about something that was said by your parents or by a sister or by an aunt or an uncle that was said about God and it becomes a little bit of a filter that you don't even know where it comes from, but it becomes that filter that helps you understand or not understand what's happening around the world through when you think about God, here's a second filter. It's the feelings lens. It's the lens of your feelings, the lens of my feelings. We all have this where we feel close to God or we don't feel close to God. And when we feel close to God, it's great. I know he's close because I feel it. And then other times we don't feel it. And we feel like something must have changed or God must have changed or I must have done something that that ticked God off and God moved away or God's busy with someone else or occupied with someone else. And I don't feel him the same way that I always felt him. And our feelings determine how we see and experience God often. For, For many of us, that's a big part of how we see and experience God. For, the, for others of us, we have a lens that I would call the lens of our religious experiences. It's our religious experiences lens. Some of you, you grew up in great churches, and you've been around some great churches that had solid biblical teaching and great community and wonderful leaders. And some of you, you had that. But I know for many people, we've, been, we've also had the bad experiences. Where, where, where you were part of a church and all of a sudden it became apparent that, that the teaching wasn't entirely biblical, but there was a lot of personal opinions or, or, or there was some abuse there or there was some abuse of leadership or there was, uh, there, there, the community wasn't healthy, but it was actually toxic. And you experienced that and what you experienced has shaped and has, has, has created a, a certain view of how God is and who God is in your life. And it has affected you and it still affects how you see God today, that we all have this thing where we see God through the filter of our religious experiences. And then let's be honest, we also have something that I would call the life experience lens. This might be the one that we look to the most to help us identify and determine what God is like and to determine who God is. That when life is going right, we're great and we love God. And ironically, we never question what God is up to when things are going right in life, do we? Like when things are going well for you, you're never like, man, I wonder what God... What is God thinking? My life is so good, and I always have a date on the weekends, and my kids are well-behaved. What is God doing? We never question what God is up to when life is good. But when life throws us a curveball, when life goes wrong, when life doesn't go to your plans, all of us have questions. And we sometimes have big doubts about what God is doing and what God is ultimately like. See, the problem that we all end up with is that all of those lenses really struggle to give us an accurate picture of God. You could say it this way. 
Life does not give us a quality lens through which to view God. Life does not give us any quality lenses through which to view God. Your family and your friends are a lens, but they are not the clearest picture of God. They will not give you the clearest picture of God. The religious experiences that you've had, they are a lens, but they don't give the full picture. Your feelings give you a lens. Your feelings give you a lens, but let's be honest, your feelings and my feelings are far from infallible. They are not perfect. They do not give us a perfect picture of God, and life's experiences give you a lens, but life's experiences certainly aren't the best way to interpret and to perceive God. So if life has not given us any good lenses through which to view and perceive and understand God, what should we do with that? Like, are we just left to take the, the imperfect pieces of, of, the, of the different lenses that we have and the different pictures that we have and try to piece it together to figure out who God is and what God's like? Or do we have another option? The good news and what we're going to talk about today is that actually God himself, while life doesn't give us a good lens to, to view God, God himself has given us a perfect lens through which to view and understand him. Here's what the Apostle Paul wrote in Colossians chapter 1. He said this, he said, Christ, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. He's the visible image, the invisible God. Visible image, invisible God. He's the God that we can see version of the God that we could not see. He's the God that we can understand of the God that we sometimes struggle to understand. That's the whole ballgame right there. What Paul is saying here is so unbelievably strong. He's saying to see Jesus is to see God. To see Jesus is to see God. Paul says those of us who saw Jesus, we actually saw God in a bod. To have seen Jesus is to have seen God. And if you didn't personally see Jesus, to know what Jesus did is to know what God would have done and what God would do. To know how Jesus spoke to people is to understand how God would speak to people. To know how Jesus handled a situation is to understand how God would handle the same situation. To know how Jesus lived and walked among us is to understand how God would have lived and would live and would walk among us. To see Jesus, Paul would say, is to see God. Paul went on in verse 16 to say this, For through him God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things that we can see and the things we can't see. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. And this is beautiful. Paul says this, Jesus came as a physical embodiment of who and what he has always been. That the Son of God is God. He is God. And he has been with God from the very beginning. He even says this, Paul says that before there was a beginning, there was Jesus. And Jesus was with God the Father, and he was involved in the entirety and every bit of creation. And Paul says that Jesus and his creative power, his creative ability, is actually what still to this day holds all creation together. Jesus came as a physical embodiment here now in our world, living among us version of who and what he has always been. Then he said this, Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is first in everything. He is first in everything. Christ is also the head 
of the church, which is his body. And I just want to stop and remind us that in the church, Jesus rules. Jesus reigns. Jesus is the head. In our church, I'm the pastor, but I serve under the leadership and the lordship of Jesus Christ, that Jesus rules in the church. Jesus leads in the church. And here's why Jesus leads in the church, because no one else died for your sins. And no one else died for my sins. No one else went to a cross for you. No one else rose from the dead for you. No one else did that, which means he is supreme. He is the leader. He's the ruler. He rules in the church. Jesus determines. This is why this is important. Jesus determines what following Jesus looks like. Not culture, not political parties, not Instagram influencers, not even the Christian Instagram influencers, not the, not the Christogram peoples, not, not any of them. Jesus decides what following Jesus looks like. And so at Movement, this is, why, this is why it's important. At Movement, our goal is not to follow some version of Christianity that's been created. Our goal is to follow Jesus. He set the example. He paved the way. He sets the tone. He leads the way, so we follow him. He is the head. He is the leader. He is the, 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 the one who leads the church. He is supreme over all. He is first in everything. And then in verse 19, Paul, Paul wrote this, as if, we, as if we needed more strength to what he was saying. He said this, For God, in all his fullness, for God, in all his fullness, was pleased to live in Christ. And there's that same thought again from earlier, but Paul makes it a little bit stronger this time. He says that all of the fullness of God the Father was present in the Son. That every bit of God's character, every bit of God's power, every bit of God's ability, every bit of God's compassion, every bit of God's mercy, every bit of God's frustration and anger, it was all present in Jesus. And so to have seen Jesus truly was to have seen God. To know Jesus was truly to know God. To know Jesus is truly to know God. And you could say it this way. Everything we need to know about God was displayed in Jesus. Everything that you need to know about the Father was displayed in the life of the Son. And so when you study Jesus to know Jesus, in doing so, Paul would say, when you study Jesus to know Jesus, you are coming to know the Father because everything that you need to know about the Father was displayed in the life of the Son. Paul finished out the thought this way. He said this, For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. Through him God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. This includes you. This includes you. This includes me. This includes you who were once far away from God. You were his enemy, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence and you are holy and you are blameless as you stand before him without a single fault, all because of what Jesus did for you. You've been reconciled to God. God reconciled you. God made you holy. God made you blameless. God made you without fault because when he looks at you, he does not see your sin and your shame and your guilt and your faults. He sees Jesus who has covered every bit of it. That's what God did for you. Here's the bottom, here's the bottom line of this whole thing. Here's the bottom line of this entire passage of everything Paul says. We best understand God through the lens of Jesus. 
we, we best understand God through the lens of Jesus. That we don't understand God through life's experiences. We don't understand God best through our own feelings or through our own religious experiences or our own tinglies or our own whatever. We don't experience God best through so many of the filters and the lenses that we so often try to look through. We understand God the Father best through the lens of His Son, Jesus, who walked among us, who showed us the power of God, who taught us to, how to live in relationship with our Heavenly Father, who taught us how to pray, who came to serve, not to be served, who used his power for the benefit of those who had none, who, who confronted religious abuse, who confronted injustice, who befriended sinners, who touched the untouchable and loved the unlovable. That when we see the Son, Jesus, that's the best and the clearest picture that we could ever have of God, our Heavenly Father. And according to Paul, when we saw Jesus do those things, we saw the clearest image of who God the Father is and what God the Father is all about. And so this is actually, this is actually the answer to one of the most common questions that I get asked by people who are coming to faith or coming back to faith or have questions about the Bible. They're, they're new to faith and they have questions about how, about how things in the Bible work. And the question that I get so, so often, and you'd be surprised how often I get this question, is this, how do you reconcile New Testament God who seems so loving and gracious with Old Testament God who seems so bent on being angry and judgmental and so bent on wrath? How do we reconcile that? How do we reconcile that? How do we, how do we you know, bring those two together and see them as the same God? And here's the answer for how we do that. We do that through Jesus. We do that through the lens of Jesus. That when we see Jesus, we see the fullness of God's character and capability. Let me, let me, let me give you one example. Frequently, we, we ask, well, if, if God is so gracious and loving, how could God have told his people to wipe out all the people in the promised land when they returned from Egypt? So two, two, two things about, about, the, about that that we actually see in Jesus. First is this, that God was way more patient with, those with the people of Canaan than anyone deserved. God had far more patience with them than anyone on earth deserved. And number two is that God always confronts religion gone wrong. Let, let, let me talk about here. If you only zoom in on that one moment where, where, where God told his people, as you go into the land, you wipe these people out. If you only zoom in on that one moment, it looks like God is being incredibly judgmental and wrathful against people who were just simply an obstacle to his people. Nope. Over 400 years prior to that, over 400 years prior, God had spoken to Abraham, the father of the nation of Israel, about the day that his descendants would return to this land after being wanderers for many generations and living for many generations in a different land. And when he made that promise, he also gave this reasoning. He said this, For the sin of the Amorites has not reached its full measure. Meaning there would be a day if they did not turn, if they did not change, if they did not change their ways, if the people who inhabited the land, if they would not change their ways, if they would not turn to him, that God would have to take action to, to discipline them, to, to, to remove them, so that they would not cause the nation of Israel to fall into the same, into the same things. 400 years. God gave these people over 400 years to turn from their sin, to turn from their ways, to turn from their rebellion against him and against right living. God, this is important, God, even in his judgment and his wrath, showed incredible patience 
the type of patience that Jesus so often displayed with us, the type of patience that allowed Jesus, the perfect Son of God, to walk and talk with 12 disciples who so often got it wrong, one of whom would eventually turn on him and betray him. The same type of patience that was displayed by Jesus was displayed by God in the Old Testament, even in the midst of his wrath and judgment, that God gave these people over 400 years to turn from their ways. And here's the second thing. See, we often think, well, those people, well, they probably weren't that bad. They probably weren't that bad. Let me tell you what was a common hallmark of all Canaanite religion. They worshiped their God by burning children as sacrifices to their God. Priests had convinced these people that among other terrible things, their God required living children to be burned alive to satisfy their God, to satisfy their God. And as we saw in the life of Jesus, this is where we see this in the life of Jesus. When religion hurts people, Jesus acted swiftly. And when God's merciful time frame of patience ran out, God acted swiftly to remove the use of this religion that hurt people. Here's the thing. We see and understand God most clearly through the lens of Jesus. How do we reconcile Old Testament and New Testament God? Through Jesus through the work of the cross, through the life of Jesus that modeled and showed us exactly who God was and gave us everything that we needed to understand about the Father. It was present in the life of the Son. We see and understand God most clearly through the lens of Jesus. We even see and understand Old Testament God most clearly through the lens of His Son, Jesus. So, because of Jesus because of what we see in the life of Jesus. Here's a few things that are true of God and how he's better than life's experiences and religious experiences and friends and family and even your own feelings would tell you that he is. First of all is this, because of Jesus, we know that God is more accessible and more approachable than you can ever imagine. Can I just say what I really mean here? Because of Jesus, we know that God is accessible and approachable for you. And God is accessible and God is approachable for me. See, so many of us think that God is approachable for others around us, for others who are, who are more deserving, or he's accessible for people who have more stuff going on or more stuff going for them, that we think God is accessible for someone else, but he's not accessible for me. Because of Jesus, we know that God is approachable and accessible for everyone. Let me give you the full list of who was welcomed by Jesus. Little children were welcomed by Jesus. Jesus said, little let the little children come to me. Lepers were welcomed by Jesus. Those whose society said couldn't come close, they were welcomed by Jesus. Widows, those who felt like life had passed them by and forgotten about them. Religious seekers, those who knew that God had more for them than their religion had taught them. Desperate parents, people who came to Jesus frantically in need of and on behalf of their sick children. Romans, the foreigners, the people who weren't, weren't welcomed by the, by the Israelites were welcomed by Jesus. People who were too far gone, who had actually come to invade the land and rule the land, they were welcomed by Jesus as well. Tax collectors, the people everyone steered clear of and crossed the other, to the other side of the street to avoid. Fishermen who smelled like fish. And if they were to sit down with you right now, you'd be like, hey, can you go take a shower and, and try to get some of that fish smell off and then you can come back and sit by me. They were welcomed by Jesus. Anyone and everyone was welcomed to come close to Jesus and Jesus came close to them. And here's the good news about all of that. You, you 
are someone who can come close to your heavenly Father and know that He will come close to you. He is more approachable and more accessible than you could ever imagine. He is more approachable and more accessible than you could ever imagine. Here's the second thing. Because of Jesus, we know that God is more gracious than we have any reason to hope. That God is more gracious than we have any reason to hope. Paul, who wrote what we just read in Colossians, also wrote this in 1 Timothy chapter 1, starting in verse 12. He said this, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who has given me strength to do His work. He considered me trustworthy and appointed me to serve Him, even though I used to blaspheme the name of Christ. In my insolence, I persecuted His people. Then he says this, But God had mercy on me because I did it in ignorance and unbelief. He says, Oh, how generous and gracious our Lord was. He filled me with the faith and love that come from Christ Jesus. This is a trustworthy saying, and everyone should accept it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Why did Jesus come, Paul? Well, Christ came into the world to save sinners. And then he says this, And I am the worst of them all. He says, but God had mercy on me. I'm the worst of sinners, but God had mercy on me so that Christ Jesus could use me as a prime example of his great patience with even the worst sinners. Then others will realize that they too can believe in him and receive eternal life. Paul literally inserts himself into the story of God's grace because he had experienced it and he believed himself to be the ultimate display of God's grace. That if God could forgive him, for what he had done. If God could forgive him for the fact that he had persecuted the church, if God could forgive him for the fact that he had killed Jesus' followers that Jesus had died for, if God could forgive him for his stubbornness that was so stubborn, God literally had to knock him off of a donkey to get his attention. That if God could forgive him for all of that, then God could forgive anyone because God is so gracious because God is so generous with his mercy that if God could forgive him, he literally could forgive anyone. That his grace was literally available to anyone and to everyone. That no matter where you've gone and no matter what you've done, here's the message. There is grace that is big enough and wide enough and deep enough for you, for you and for whatever you have done. And that's awfully good news for you. And that's awfully good news for me. That no matter how far you've done, God's grace will go far enough to cover and forgive you. No matter who you've been, God's grace is big enough to cover and forgive you. That God's grace, because of Jesus, we know that God is more gracious than we have any reason to hope. And that's great news. Here's the third thing we know about God. Because of Jesus, we know that God is stronger than we dare to dream. See, Jesus is the calmer of storms. He has power over nature. Jesus is the multiplier of food. He has miraculous power to provide. Jesus is the one who restored sight to the blind. He has miraculous power to restore what life had taken away. Jesus is the healer of lepers. He has miraculous power over disease. Jesus is the one who raises the dead. He has the power of life and death. Jesus is the one whose death tore the curtains in the temple. Jesus has power over religion. And so here's why I say that. Here's why this is so important for us to know. Whatever you need from God, He is able and He is capable. 
He is strong enough to provide for you. He is strong enough to meet every need you have. He is strong enough to restore anything that life has taken away from you. He is strong enough to calm the storms raging in you and around you. He is strong enough for you. There is nothing that you need from God that God cannot do. Because of Jesus, we know that God is stronger than we dare dream. He is strong enough to meet every need that you will ever have and every need that you will ever bring to him. He is strong enough for you. And so here's the thing as we close today, one one simple thought. If that's who God is and you could know him, why wouldn't you? If if, if that's who God is, if God really is more gracious than we we have any reason to hope, if God really is strong enough to to, to meet every need that you have, and if God really can can do everything that, that we hope he would do, and if he really is more accessible and approachable than we could dare imagine, why would we not want to know him? And if, it, and if it was as simple as putting our trust in Jesus, who came to show us what God was like in the first place, putting our trust in his death and his resurrection, why would we not take that step? So you can take that step today. You can take it right now. As we pray, you can begin to pray to your heavenly father and thank him for Jesus who showed you what he was like, who displayed everything that we need to know about him. You thank him for Jesus. And then you place your trust in Jesus who died for your sins and rose from the dead to offer you a new life and a new relationship with your heavenly father. Today, you can do that. And as we close today, I just want to say one more time, God sees you through the lens of Jesus. We can see God through the lens of Jesus. We can know and understand and perceive God through the lens of Jesus. Thank God for Jesus, who makes our relationship with God possible. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for Jesus. That's the whole prayer. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for his life. Thank you for his death. Thank you for the fact that he showed us who you are and what you're like. Thank you that we can know and understand you and who you are and what you're like because we see Jesus, because we have records of what Jesus did and what Jesus said and how Jesus treated people and how Jesus responded in different situations. Thank you that everything we need to know about you was displayed in the life of Jesus. So God, we thank you for the lens that you've given us, that there is a perfect way to understand you and to see you and to know you, and it's through the lens of your son. God, help us to know what what to do with this. Help us to to study you and to try to understand you and to not do it through our feelings or our life's experiences or our religious experiences, but help us to look through Jesus because in doing that, we will understand perfectly who you are and what you want for, for us and what you want from us and who you want us to be and how you want us to live in the world and we'll know you. So God, help us to do this. We love you, God. We pray this all in Jesus' name, amen.